is Pentecost Sunday. And um, there's a lot of uh, people that may not have a full understanding of the Trinity, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, God the Holy Spirit. Um, and they all three operate separately, but they are one. And um, the Holy Spirit is the active third person of the Trinity that does the work and will of the Father and points everyone and everything to Jesus Christ. Because that's his purpose. His purpose is to bring glory to God. Jesus' purpose is to bring glory to the God the Father and to fellowship with his people, but to save that which was lost. His primary purpose was to save that which was lost. That's what the scriptures tell us. And the Holy Spirit is the active agent, the active participant that reaches into the hearts of men and women and boys and girls and makes them aware that there is a Savior and His name is Jesus, draws them to salvation, to repentance, and, and then His work is not through. Many times He is dismissed and not really thought much about, but the work of the Holy Spirit continues and His will, the will of God our Father, is to have the Holy Spirit active and working each and every day in our lives. The same Holy Spirit that reaches into your heart and into my, that reached into my heart that draws us to salvation and lets us know that there's something on the inside that's missing, this void inside of our heart and our life. We're drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ. That same power that reaches inside of our heart and our life still desires to reach inside of our hearts and our lives throughout our salvation and our walk with the Lord to make us aware that there is something outside of salvation that we need to do. We need to, the Bible calls it walking in the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. How do you walk in the flesh? And this is not my message this morning. I'm just putting this out there. It's just all free. You get this as an icing on the cake, so to speak. Uh, but the reason that we walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh is because when we walk in the flesh, which means we do, we work according to our desires, then we don't have in mind the things of God. We have in things that are in mind it, it within us. But when we walk in the Spirit and our desire is to do what the will of God is, then we listen for the voice of God. And Jesus said, My sheep will know my voice. And the voice of Jesus comes through the active agent of the Holy Spirit speaking those things through us and to us into other people's lives. Amen. So uh, there, that's, that's a kind of a, boy, that's a whole month's worth of sermons right there or more. Uh, it's in a nutshell. But uh, thank you for worshiping the Lord this morning. Today, as I mentioned, as you know, is Pentecost Sunday. And what is Pentecost? Um, some people who have a traditional heritage of Pentecostal churches, they understand. Some people, if you say Pentecost, they have no idea what that means. Um... Many people have really no, a lot of people have no idea of what a lot of things mean in our culture today because we're living in a very large portion of our society that's unchurched. And they're not familiar with church history. They're not familiar with doctrines. They're not familiar with a lot of things. And truly the fields are white under harvest. What we're going to look at, I'm going to look. I'm going to bring your attention to some scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to talk about the history of Pentecost and really what it means for us today. Uh, I want to start in the New Testament in Matthew chapter three, verse number one. Matthew chapter three, verse number one. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 1, says this. 
in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I want you to take note of that. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. And this is from Isaiah 40 and 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. When he, saw how, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I want you to make note of that. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every good thing, every good thing that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11, I baptize you with or in water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with or in the Holy Spirit and fire. I want you to make note of that. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I'm sorry, I didn't put verse 12 up there, but it's, it should be included. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I grew up with, and I thank God for my Pentecostal heritage. I can remember the overflow of the Holy Spirit, as, or as the King James Bible called it, the Holy Ghost, evident in our services. And the power of God I saw do some amazing things. I've heard preachers refer to the Holy Ghost and fire. There have been songs written about it. Meaning the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit visiting us in a service along with the fire of God. Mostly the fire of God they were referring to was that powerful wave of anointing that would come falling on God's people, incapacitating them as they worshipped Him. I have been a recipient of the overflow of the anointing of God. There have been times when I have been incapacitated in my worship to the Lord in the overflow. And that's okay. We all worship in different ways. I've seen the Holy Spirit reach inside someone and touch them and move them to tears because they just sense something so powerful. I've seen people that have been overwhelmed with the power of the Lord and they just get excited and they, they jump around or they 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 holler real loud or sometimes they just they just lay prostrate on the floor and they just can't can't uh, really do anything else and we all respond in different ways and that's okay I know personally about that overflowing presence and many of you do as well but there is a fire here that John refers to that I've really not heard a lot preached about. I've not preached about it myself, but yet it's there. The fire that John referred to has nothing to do with the anointing. I want you to hear me. The fire that John referred to in this passage has nothing to do with the anointing of God. The Holy Spirit 
and fire. Many times the baptism and the move of the Holy Spirit and fire are always used together as a blessing to be conferred on the willing, prayerful, and surrendered people of God. But this message that John was delivering in this passage was for people to, number one, as verse two tells us, to repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near in verse two. Verse eight, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And verse 11, be ready to receive from Jesus because he will baptize you with or in the Holy Spirit and fire. Before any discussion about the Holy Spirit baptism can occur, the first thing that has to occur is repentance. Repentance. Repentance is not just an outward change, but it's, it's really changing who your master is. It is exchanging sin and Satan to Jesus Christ and the Word of God. It's really that simple. It's not popular in many Christian circles today. In most churches, they don't preach repentance. They preach, oh, just accept Jesus and you'll be okay and you can continue to live as you want to. It's a popular gospel because it doesn't ruffle any feathers. It doesn't challenge anyone to change. But it is contrary to the Word of God. It is. It would be inexcusable for me as a minister of the gospel to stand here and tell you that the word of God requires you to do nothing more than just accept Jesus and that's all you have to do because that is a failure to fully embrace the word of God. The word of God challenges us to repent. It's not enough just to say, I'm sorry for my sins and go out and live the way you want to live. But it is a turning away. It's doing a complete 180 degree turn from the life that you were involved with. With all the ungodly activities, the ungodly people, the ungodly influences in your life. And to repent and to turn completely away from that. Our culture today has really embraced a, well, just do your best. Do your best. No. Do the Word of God. Amen. Do the Word of God. My grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher, and I can remember him saying, because there were certain things, even in my lifetime, that I can remember that as a Christian, you just didn't do. There were activities that you just didn't do. And now we've, we've gone into this pseudo-Christianity where, well, I can just separate who I am and, and you can have your personal convictions and I can have my personal convictions. And um, if your personal convictions are stronger than the way I live my life, don't try to, to get me to do what I... because I'm doing what I want to do. May I tell you that as long as we do what, what I want to do, that we will never experience the fullness of what God's plan is in your life. We'll never experience it. There was a time when people who went to church didn't smoke, chew, or run around with people who did. Run around with people who do. Oh, pastor, you're going to metal now. You mean you smoke, you can't go to heaven? I'm not going to say that. But there was an expectation because there was addictive behavior. Any addict, I, I, I preach against any addictive behavior. Now, Pastor, are you telling me addictive behavior will keep you out of heaven? I'm not telling you that, but I'm telling you this, that if you're addicted to something other than the Word of God, it has the ability to draw you deeper and deeper and deeper toward whatever it is and minimize God's presence in your life even has the ability for you to lose out with God. My grandfather was a smoker. I never remember him smoking because he got saved before I was born. But the expectation was is as a Christian, you just didn't smoke. That was just it. And um, he got saved. And he laid his cigarettes on the altar and he said, I'm not touching another one. Because that was his expectation of what a follower of Christ should be. 
And somebody asked him, said, Brother Ragsdale, did, did the Lord take your cigarettes away from you? And he said, no, sir. He said, I was just man enough to lay them down. He said, no, the Lord didn't want them. I was just man enough to lay them down. I thought that was so cool. There was a, an evangelist that came a number of years ago. His name is, is Glenn Shin. Uh, and uh, he came and preached. And I guess probably judging, this has been probably 30 years ago when, uh, uh, when he came to our church and uh, he preached. And he, uh, I'm guessing this probably took place maybe in the 60s. Uh, judging from his age at the time and, and when he was telling this story. But he got saved. And the expectation was at that time is you don't go to you don't go partying around and you don't go to places where it, you'd be tempted to do something. And one of his buddies said, hey, why don't we go to this dance? And he's like, well, I just don't know if I should. You know, I just got saved. And he began to think in himself, well, you know what? Maybe I could witness to people at this dance. And so he went to this dance and he had great intentions and he's dancing with this girl and he proceeds to tell her about Jesus. And she says, you mean you're a Christian? And he said, why, yes. And she says, well, what are you doing here? And I think it speaks a lot. The power of the Holy Spirit has the ability to keep us from the places and the activities that we shouldn't be involved in. Um, repentance. Next comes producing fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 8, producing fruit in keeping with repentance. What does this mean? It means that since you've completely committed your life to Jesus, that your, both your conduct, your words, and your actions will show outwardly to everyone that you are living for Jesus. If they look at your life, it's going to be evident that you're a child of God. It should be evident. Amen. There's a little... Some of you may not even know what a booster band is, but there was, a, there was something when I was a child called a booster band. And it's where the little kids would come up in front of the church on Sunday mornings before they went back to children's church and they would sing to the congregation. One of the songs that I remember learning as a child was... Watch your hands, watch your hands, what they do. Watch your hands, watch your hands, what they do. For the Father up above, He is looking down in love. Watch your hands, watch your hands, what they do. Watch your eyes, watch your eyes, what they see. And I probably don't have them in the right order. Watch your eyes, watch your eyes, what they see. For the Father up above, He is looking down in love. Watch your eyes, watch your eyes, what they see. Watch your ears, watch your ears, what they hear. Watch your ears, watch your ears, what they hear. And, you, and then you go on to your feet where they go. And then you say those things. Um, I know that sounds like a simplified song. But you know, I learned that song over 50 years ago. And I still know it today. It's a lot better than I love you, you love me. Because it reminds you about what we should do as children of God. If our actions do not show Christ and our words do not show Christ, then we need to make them align with the word of God and the character of Jesus. When we produce fruit in keeping with repentance, then we set the stage to be able to receive the baptism that Jesus has provided, which is the Holy Spirit in verse 11, the Holy Spirit, and it also says fire. I want to make the distinction here. John said that Jesus would baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. And keep in mind that the audience that was present were those looking for the Messiah and those desiring to truly repent. He was baptizing people in water. They were confessing their sins, the scripture tells us. 
But there were also, verse 7 tells us, there were Pharisees and Sadducees that were present as well. The Pharisees were a religious group that followed the Old Testament teachings as well as their own human interpretations of it. They emphasized that salvation came by obeying both the Old Testament and the rules and regulations they had put into place. They taught that the Messiah would be an earthly ruler that, that, and that would allow Israel to rise again to prominence and power. Their view was all about outward form but no inward change as they clung and taught to their legalistic obedience. Sounds like some religious folks today, doesn't it? The Sadducees were theological liberals against anything supernatural. They appeared to hold to the law of the Lord, but the law of God, but they denied many of its teachings. They rejected the doctrines of the resurrection, angels, miracles, immortality, and judgment to come. Their lives were often morally lax and worldly. It also sounds like many so-called Christian folks today, doesn't it? The baptism and the Holy Spot, Holy, the hope, the baptism and the Holy Spirit, and the baptism and fire are two distinct things, as I meant, as I said before. If we look at the context of Scripture, and uh, I don't know if you can get that on the screen in verse twelve, Ryan, but verse twelve says this: It says, "His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn." and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So those who have repented and produced fruit in keeping with repentance are ready for the next step. Those are the wheat, so to speak, in this. They're to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, a baptism or immersion that will give the follower of Christ great power to live and witness for Christ. Those who have not repented, not produced fruit in keeping with repentance are destined for the next step. But it's not the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but it's the baptism in fire, which refers to judgment where unquenchable fire refers to the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20 or the chaff. There is a separation between the wheat and the chaff. Many of the Old Testament prophets, and I don't have time to go through them, but you can read in, in your Bible, you will find that many of the Old Testament prophets, when they gave prophets prophecies, Joel is one of them, uh, they did not see the time gap between the first and the second comings of Christ. They put a prophecy out there and it had a foreshadowing meaning of first one part of the prophecy has to deal with this time frame and another has to deal with this time frame. The first and second comings of Christ are differed in, these, in this prophecy when first Jesus comes back as a Savior and then He comes back as a righteous judge. Now I want to look at the origins of Pentecost and how the Old Testament foreshadows the New Testament and bringing us into the fullness of understanding of Pentecost. There's a lot here and I'm going to go as quickly as I can because, but it's important. I don't want to leave anything out. You have to go to the exciting book of Leviticus. Leviticus, And I say that because if you've ever read through the Bible and you've read through Leviticus, there are parts that may be difficult for you to read through. And um, there, it's full of a lot of laws and regulations. Uh, I mean, and there are some parts it would be like if some people today were to take out a dictionary and just start reading it. It might be kind of rough to go through, but there's some things, there's some things in there that are absolutely essential. I want you to look at Leviticus chapter 23, verse number 10. We're going to be talking about the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of First Fruits. This goes back to before the Feast of Pentecost. Verse 10 says, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land, I am going to give you and reap its harvest. Bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. Everybody say first grain. first grain. The first grain you harvest. He is to wave that sheaf before the Lord so that it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the, on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb. Everybody say a lamb. A year old without defect. Everybody say without defect. 
together with its grain offering and two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma. Everybody say a pleasing aroma. That was weak. A pleasing aroma. And its drink offering of a quarter hand of wine. The, this offering of the first fruits to God was a way of demonstrating the principles of putting God first in all things. Committing to the Lord. Showing their commitment and showing that they are giving to the Lord. If you look in the New Testament how this ties in. 1 Peter 1, chapter 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish. Or without defect. Everybody say a lamb without blemish or defect. Do you see the connection between the two? Jesus conquered death and on the third day resurrected with a glorified body. A pattern, an example of all believers that we would also be resurrected with a glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15. 20 through 23 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Everybody say, First fruits. The first fruits. So Christ was the first fruits. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ. The first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So Christ was the first fruits. Then, uh, then though when he comes, uh, Christ, the first fruits. So first it was Christ, and the first fruits were those who have fallen asleep, as the scriptures told us. And then when he comes, those of us who belong to him. So we are the first fruits because he is the first fruits. And we have that connection. Then we move on to what's called the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest. And back in Leviticus chapter 15, excuse me, Leviticus 23 verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. So it's connected to the, the previous feast. It's connected to the Feast of first fruits. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days. Everybody say 50 days. 50 days. Up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly. Say sacred assembly. Do you see the parallel here? And do no regular work. This must be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. The word Pentecost means 50. Everybody say 50. 50. This number 50 has a powerful parallel to the year of Jubilee, which occurred every 50 years. You could read about that in Leviticus chapter 25. Uh, the, the year of Jubilee was every 49th year, there would be a preparation for the 50th year, the year of 50, where all of the debts were forgiven, all the property went back to the original owners, and all the people were commanded to not till the ground because it would be a year of celebration, a year of jubilee. And I believe there's a great parallel. It's not a common, it's not an uncommon, uh, that's not the word I want to use, it's, it's not uh, out of the ordinary for God, but it is a celebration I think and there is a connection to Pentecost being a time of celebration and a time of saying we're not going to till our own ground but the Lord is going to till it for us the feast of weeks began seven weeks plus one day the feast of Pentecost or the feast of weeks began seven weeks plus one day after the feast of first fruits it was a festival of joy it was a festival of mandatory and voluntary offerings, including the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So in other words, the Feast of Pentecost was putting God first with joy, giving, and thankfulness. And then we go to the New Testament in Acts chapter 1. Verse number 4. On one occasion while he, Jesus, was eating with them, this is the post-resurrected Jesus. 
He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, who we read about, baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't say fire. He said the Holy Spirit. Because he's talking to his followers only. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to understand the significance of this. Jesus didn't say you will receive power so that you can worship boldly. He didn't say, you'll, you'll, you'll receive power so that you can feel good. He didn't say, you'll receive power so that you'll know that I'm there with you and, and I'm around you all the time. Although I believe that to be true, that that is all-encompassing of what the Holy Spirit is and what He allows us to do, that we experience the move of God. I mentioned this earlier and I'll mention it again. I think it would be sheer um, a misunderstanding of Scripture for us to think that we can sense the Holy Spirit on the inside of us when He draws us to salvation because how many know that we only have salvation when the Holy Spirit reaches in and draws us. That's what the Scripture says. He reaches in to us and draws us to salvation. I think it would be uh, unwise for us to think that the same Holy Spirit that reaches in and touches us has no ability to reach in and touch us later on. He has the ability and He does so. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. And that power is made, it's like a dynamite power. That power so that you can be witnesses. Well, what's this power for? What's the purpose of power? The power is not on the outside. The power is on the inside. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now there's something in, you know, you can say that I've, I've experienced this. You can say, I've been to the ocean. And uh, I've touched the wave. And so I can say, I've had a fullness of experience at the ocean. How many know that that might just not quite be the case? How many of you have ever been to the ocean? How many of you have ever touched the water in the ocean? Now, how many of you have waded into the ocean? How many of you have ever swam in the ocean? Yeah. I have a wonderful picture of... Uh, this is back before digital pictures and before, you know, it was on film. So we didn't know what it was going to look like. We were traveling, and I think the year was 2000, and we had uh, traveled to San Francisco area. And um, we were driving down the coast highway. We were going down to Southern California, and we stopped at a place called, I think it was, um, um, I was going to say Mount Carmel, but that's in, that's in Jerusalem. But, uh, that's over there in the Holy Land. I think it was, I think it was just... Is it, is it caramel, car, caramel, caramel, whatever? Anyway, and we stopped there, and there was a little lookout point, and we went down, and uh, we hadn't really been in that part of the country before, but it's a lot cooler.
cooler in Northern California than it is in Southern California. We've been to California a number of times. And it was a nice warm day, probably about 80 degrees. And there were people out there. There were people that were sunbathing. And so uh, us Okies decided to go down by the water. And we took off our, like we probably had just flip-flops on. We took those off and we stood there waiting for the water to come. And just as that water came up over our ankles, we realized that it was about 45 or 50 degree water. And I've got a wonderful picture as I'm turning to Annette and snapping a shot and her mouth is... <sighs> because it was cold. That's not the kind of parallel that I'm drawing to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Think for a moment about when you got saved, when the Holy Spirit touched you on the inside. That same realization, that same Holy Spirit is the same one that wants to continually commune with you and to have an ongoing relationship with you. He always points to Christ. If you use the water analogy, it would be kind of like maybe if you like getting into really warm water, a hot tub or a bath, and you put your foot in there and, you, and you're like, oh, this feels pretty good. And then you just get down it and you're like, oh, why didn't I do this sooner? In a spiritual context, may I tell you that the Lord is waiting for you to say, I want everything that you have for me. I don't have to convince you. I don't have to say, do this and it's going to happen. I have prayed with several that have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I think the single thing that allows people really to connect with God in a powerful way when the power of God just overflows into their heart and their spirit is just by simply not holding anything back on the inside and just say, Lord, I yield completely to you. Some people are unknowing of what the scriptures really say. There's some people that are really just not really in full understanding. I've heard stories of people who have said, you know, I know what the preacher said. I know what I've seen at some of these churches. And they just begin in their private devotional life, just begin to lock themselves away in their prayer closet and said, Jesus, I don't know about this, but if this is really what you want for my life, if this is really you, I want everything that you have for me. And you'll sense that the power of the Holy Spirit, that nudging that touches your soul will come down. And he comes down during those times in the word he comes down in those times in your prayer closet because he knows how to reach you let me continue verse 9 after he said this he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hit and a cloud hid him from their sight they were looking intently up into the skies he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking in this, into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were where they were staying. There present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Everybody say, in prayer. Amen. It is in prayer that you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Everybody say one place. One place. Church, there's power in proximity. Yes. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It wasn't anything that they learned that somebody said, talk this way and say this. It was as the Spirit of God came upon them. There's one uh, verse in Scripture that says, with stammering lips, I believe it's in Isaiah, they spoke with a new tongue. And Peter, I don't have time to read this whole passage of Scripture. I'm going to encourage you to do so at home. In verse 14, Peter is anointed under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he begins preaching to the people who were there, wondering about these people. He said, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the, uh, addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, as you all who live in Jerusalem... Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, I want you to understand something. When you see the power of God moving upon people and they react in different ways, you don't know what they might do. These people acted and looked like they were intoxicated. That's what the scripture says. You may think these people are drunk. And I don't know what Peter was maybe propping himself up. Just kind of holding on. And, and just maybe he was speaking with a slurred language. I, I don't know. Because he had just been enveloped in the presence of the Lord. In the power of the Holy Spirit. We just, I'm not going to presuppose what, what the Lord's going to do in somebody else's life. I just know that there have been times in my own life where I can relate to what Peter's talking about because there have been times when, you know, I'll just, I'll just tell on myself a little bit. Some of you who were here uh, when we first came will we'll remember this. We had a Sunday night service one time and the power of God was heavy and moving Powerfully, As people were worshiping the Lord, there were people coming up for prayer and, and we were praying with people. And I just call it a Holy Ghost short circuit. I guess when somebody just is unable to stand it and they just go down under the power of the Lord and they just continue laying there worshiping. And I know for a fact that God has a sense of humor. Powerful sense of humor. And I had prayed for a number of people and there were, in the sanctuary we have is a large sanctuary, a large altar area up front where there were probably at least eight or ten people that were just laying around in the sanctuary just worshiping the Lord. And uh, Sister Joyce Vaughn, precious saint of God, precious saint, she's gone on to be with the Lord now, but we had two aisles in this sanctuary and she was right over here and I was down in the altar area and and uh, I saw her and you know we encourage our prayer team to come and, and be behind someone so if, if they feel incapacitated we just kind of are there just to pray with them and to help them and and uh, Sister Joyce was there and uh, there wasn't anybody else around and so I thought by human thinking. She's a pretty small woman. I'll just put one hand on her shoulder. And if she happens to, you know, then I'll just ease her on down. I began to pray for her. And the power of the Lord came down and took this preacher out. And I spent the next probably 20 minutes at least laying on my back close to being under the front pew. And I couldn't tell you what else happened. Where, where'd the pastor go? Well, he's over there. And Sister Joyce, I heard later, I heard somebody she, she was worse. I guess she was worshiping the Lord because I didn't see her after that. I mean, just right then. And she asked somebody, she said, did I hop like a bunny rabbit? Because I guess she got excited to just start hopping around. I, I couldn't tell her because I didn't know. I was just there. And, and it was a while before I was ready to get up. And that's okay. The Holy Spirit touches us in different ways. 
the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is so not that we not that we can have those experiences, but he allows us to have those experiences so we can experience him and know that he's real in the depth because in all of those things and all the way that he judges, I never once, I never once thought, well, I'm just going to, I think I can ease myself down over here. I had no control because I, I'm, I, you know, hit the power of the Lord just hit me and I couldn't tell you what happened next. And that's many times I was just I was just praising the Lord. No, this is what was spoken. He continues in verse 16. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This is from Joel chapter 2. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy, meaning they will declare the word of the Lord. They will declare the works of the Lord. And this is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He said, these people... I will, as I pour out my spirit, I empower them to be able to be the witness that I want them to be, that Jesus said they would be in the last days when people need to hear the declaring of the word of the Lord. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you, what you now see and hear. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the prerequisite. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And get this, verse 39 says, This promise, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everybody say it. All. All. All who are far off. All for all whom the Lord our God will call. If you are called of God, then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. That's what Peter said under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Just as the Holy Spirit was given as prophesied by Joel and promised by Jesus, so yet today this promise is available to all believers. Pentecost is alive and well, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is still for believers so that we can be equipped to reach the lost around us in greater measure than ever before. He causes us to be bold. Now Peter was bold but he was also bold about putting his foot in his mouth a lot of times. But on this day, he was bold about standing up and proclaiming Jesus Christ to people who were lost. What does this mean to us today and how can we apply it? We're supposed to offer our first fruits to the Lord, the best that we have, giving ourselves completely over to Him, committing ourselves to Him, putting Him in charge to trust Him, to transfer control over to Him. We're supposed to realize that He has conquered death. He is our first fruits. We have that same hope that we will all be we will also be resurrected when He comes. We're to give joyfully. Thanks to the Lord as we celebrate our blessing, the harvest that He has given, putting Him first in our lives. And we're to allow the risen Savior every access to every part of our lives, expecting to receive the power of Pentecost in full measure through the flow of the Holy Spirit to empower us to reach the lost around us. Jesus, the Son of God, is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm going to close here in just a moment. But as a follower of Jesus, we must follow what John's instructions were, which is verse 2. Repent of our text and be baptized. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 8. Repent. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And verse 11. Be, be ready to receive from be ready to receive from Jesus because He will baptize you with or in the Holy Spirit. Be ready to receive. 
If you're not a follower of Jesus, then that fire that John spoke about is the lake of fire that is your destiny. And Jesus, the righteous judge, will have no choice but to sentence you there. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you repent, you turn away from your sins and the eternal fire that is the penalty for sin and you choose Jesus and redemption from that penalty he has paid and you will have eternal life and once you have become a follower of Jesus then seek him for the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit and the purpose is so others will know about Jesus so others will know about Jesus I want to be very clear the Holy Spirit is here he lives within us and He desires to have a fullness inside of us to empower us to live for Him continually to be guided by Him because Jesus said He is a teacher. He is a guide. He will lead you into all truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And in your prayer as you worship the Lord I know He's going to touch you today. He's going to draw you closer to Him than ever before. Father, I thank you right now for your power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the power of Pentecost that we've talked about today. We thank you, Lord, for the fullness that you have given us through offering us, Jesus, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Lord, you said that power we would receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And Lord, we so seek today for the fullness of of our relationship with you. We've turned from sin. And if we haven't, Lord, we just repent today. We want to live our lives committed to you. It's not all about us. Let us get out of our own comfort zone, out of our own concerns, so that we have a concern for the things of God. And that concern is brought about by the infilling of the Holy Spirit as He empowers us to declare Jesus to this lost and dying world that needs Him so desperately. Thank you for what you're doing in the name of Jesus.